Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear these collected sayings from the book of Proverbs. My child, keep your father's commandment and do not forsake your mother's teaching. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and one's children will have a refuge. The righteous walk in integrity. Happy are the children who follow them. Discipline your children, and they will give you rest. They will give delight to your heart. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's so good to be in worship with each of you on this cool fall day. Finally, fall has fell among us. Uh, we're grateful, Jim, for your sharing the lesson with us, the scripture lesson. And uh, as uh, Toy continues to develop her prayer life among us, so we're grateful, uh, Toy, for your prayers. I always feel like I'm right at the throne of grace when she prays. I thought she was going to commence preaching there for a minute in the prayer, and that would have been great too. Uh, grateful to Allison and Emily. Thank you so much for leading us uh, in our uh, call to worship this morning. And uh, we have finally come today to the conclusion of this series on Proverbs that we started 10 weeks ago today. We started on the weekend that school started on this series called Wise Up. And over the last two and a half months, we've been talking about this need that we have I think a dire need in our culture for wisdom. The Hebrew word is hakma, which literally means prudence or discretion. It can also mean discernment and skill. And what we've been talking about is we live in the age of information where we have massive amounts of detail at our fingertips. You can fact check your teachers and preachers from your pews. I hope you won't, but you can do that from your iPhones, your iPods, your iPads, and all of this technological skill that we have. And yet, information is not necessarily application. Knowledge is not necessarily wisdom. And so we've been thinking together for two and a half months in this, this, the age of information overload of how it's not always necessarily easy to discern true from false. It's not always easy to determine real from phony. We can usually determine good from bad, but not always good from best. We need wisdom. And so we've been thinking together about the correlation of wisdom to reverence. Wisdom begins with reverence for God. We've talked about the connection between wisdom and trust. Lean not on your own perception. We've talked about the correlation of wisdom to work ethic, to discipline, to speech. How we talk is a litmus test of wisdom. We've talked about the connection of wisdom to humility and to humor and reputation, and last week to community, to fellowship. But I want to close the series this morning with a message on the connection between wisdom 
and spiritual formation. Jim, the collection of sayings that that we read, since it's the last week, I couldn't make up my mind which text, so I just decided we'd read a bunch of texts from Proverbs. It's our last week. And what you notice in the text that Jim read is that they seem to underscore this connection, this link between wisdom and formation or education. Wisdom is not necessarily something that you are born with. Although there is natural revelation, Romans 1 tells us, the New Testament says that wisdom is a gift of our rebirth, not necessarily of our first birth. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit given to the body for the common good, not for your personal benefit, but for the benefit, for the edification or the building up of the body. It is a gift of the second birth. But the Scripture also teaches us that wisdom can be taught. Wisdom can be cultivated. Wisdom can be learned. It's a learned behavior. And wisdom can be modeled by example. In fact, you see this in the last text, Jim, that you read, Proverbs 22, verse 6, which I think may be one of the best-known Proverbs in the book. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Read that text with me. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, what I want you to notice in the screen, in the text, is the italicized, underscored words, train up. In the Hebrew, that phrase, to train up, is hanak, H-A-N-A-K, hanak, which literally means to initiate, to inaugurate, or to dedicate. That word, hanak, is used several times in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew canon. Typically, it refers to the dedication of a house, or a temple. Some of you have moved into a new place. You've asked for a house blessing. That's Hanak. You're orienting, you're initiating blessing on the house. In fact, you see this in 1 Kings 8, verse 63, in reference to the consecration of Solomon's temple, Hanak. So, the initiation of blessing on the temple. It's interesting that the Arabic word is Hanakah, now, some of you who know something about Jewish tradition know the word Hanukkah. Arabic word comes from Hanukun, which literally means, listen, the gums in your mouth that hold your teeth. It literally means the gums. And the image that people would have had of that word in an Arab culture is of a parent, a mother, rubbing the gums of a baby with the juice of dates or oil thus initiating the teething process. I see some of you smiling. Some of you have done this before. In the teething process, you rub the oils on the gums so that the child can gradually move from milk to bread or from soft food, from apple sauce, to meat, food that you can actually chew. The Feast of Hanukkah commemorates the rededication of the temple by Judas Maccabeus in 167 B.C. after it was desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes. And so that word, Hanuk, in chapter 22 of Proverbs 
is actually a metaphor for educating and forming our children. Initiating the faith in our youth so that we orient their lives towards wisdom. So that we initiate them towards a life of reverence and obedience. In other words, to shape their hearts so that they will in fact do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. This is the work of Hanak. Now, I don't have to tell you I'm preaching to the choir today that one of the most important missions in the life of our church, one of the most important ministries is to our kids, it's to our children and our youth. In fact, in our children's ministry, we mark their ongoing maturation in faith with milestones. It starts right over here with baptism, where the pastor, through water and the laying on of hands, initiates the child into the fold. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we identify that child's primary identity as son, daughter of God. We place them on the cradle roll. Then in Sunday school, then we give them kindergarten Bibles. We teach them the Scripture, the Word, later on third grade Bibles. In sixth grade, we place them in confirmation where they do basic training where we teach them what it means to live out their confession of faith. Jesus is Lord. As teenagers, they then begin to get involved in small groups. We have 250 youth on Sunday night involved in small groups where they're mentored, trained, taught, where they begin to work out their faith. They engage in worship, in youth choir, in mission, in study, in local mission, in service, in choir tours. And they began to get a sense of what it means to belong and to believe and to behave as Jesus. That is the work of Hanak. That is the work of training up for a lifetime of faithful service. I was reading a report the other day, a demographic report, religious report by George Barna. Some of you know that name. You've read his materials. And he writes what I think is a very revealing piece of information that's important to know. Barna reports that those of us who become a disciple of Christ as a child prior to our teenage years are more likely than those converted later to remain absolutely committed to our faith. That's the importance of Hanak, of orienting of initiating a spiritual foundation from day one so that our children begin teething on the gospel right from the womb. In fact, I've known some of our ladies, my wife included, who even when the child was in the womb were reading Scripture so that they could hear. We're singing songs, spiritual songs. We're playing music, Christian contemporary music, so that even in the womb, they're already beginning to be oriented. I also read in Barna's report, do you know who the most important people are in the life of a child in terms of their faith? Their parents. I read the other day that when the father engages in the life of faith, the children tend to follow. Mother too, but father 
most important. I think of Hannah's story. When I think of teething on the gospel, I remember Hannah. You remember Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, this barren woman who would come to the temple day and night just pleading, weeping for a child. And lo and behold, one morning she wakes up with morning sickness with these cravings of celery and peanut butter. And the day came when God answered her prayer. And she named him Samuel. You know what that means? It means God hears. She brought him to the temple when he was just a baby for dedication, Hanak. And she named him Samuel. And her prayer of thanksgiving is recorded in the first chapter, 1 Samuel 1, 27. Listen to what she said. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition. Therefore, I will lend him to the Lord. Oh, I love that. She loaned her baby to God. As long as he lives, she said, he is given to the work of the Lord. What was she doing? Hanak, inaugurating, dedicating, orientating, train up a child in the way she should go, and when she's old, she'll not depart from it. Now, I want you to look at the second part of that verse for just a moment. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Over the years, in 37 years of ministry, this verse has been, I think, both a source of comfort to some and consternation to others. I've often used this verse to comfort parents of wayward children. When, when our kids, Sherry and me, when our kids were teenagers, when one of them would get out of line, Sherry was famous for saying, do you know what your son did today? That's interesting. When, when our kids made the honor roll, they were their mother's children. When they got into trouble, they were mine. And I would usually say something like this, some disclaimer, well, they didn't learn that from my side of the family. When Andrew, our son, was homecoming king his senior year, he was his mother's child. But when he got his ear pierced, he was my son. <laughs> that ear piercing didn't last for long. When Haley became cheerleader, her mother's child, when she broke curfew, she was my daughter. I think she did get that from my side of the family, actually. <laughs> And we would comfort ourselves when our kids would misbehave by saying, well, you know, the Scripture says when they're old, they'll not depart, they'll come back, but how old do they have to be before they come back? And thankfully, at age 29 and 26 now, we're seeing that some of it sticks, and it's a comfort, that verse. But sometimes that verse can be a means of confusion and grief. Every now and then, and it's happened in the time that I've been here, concerned parents will come to my office and sit down with me to express their concern about an adult child that seems to have gone AWOL in terms of their faith. And they'll say something like this, we, we just don't understand it. We raised them in the church. They went through confirmation. They went on choir tour. We taught them right from wrong. They were in small groups. We even sent them to a Christian college. What did we do wrong? And sometimes I'll say, well, maybe nothing. 
Maybe you did nothing wrong. It's important to note that this verse is not necessarily a guarantee of future faithfulness. The nature and genre of Proverbs is they're not necessarily always promises. They are general principles. They're axioms, truisms that are fundamentally sound, a unique collection of godly wisdom of spiritual men, insight, advice, well-reasoned. But there are exceptions sometimes to the Proverbs. By the way, if you didn't know, that's why they wrote the book of Job. Because sometimes you can do everything right. You can be in church every time the doors are open and you can end up on the ash heap or you can end up on a cross. You can do it all right. There are sometimes exceptions to the rule. And what I've discovered is if you apply this verse as absolute in every situation, then you have to accept the impossibility of betrayal and defection, desertion. And the truth is, defection is possible. Look at Judas. Look at Demas in the New Testament, a disappointment to Paul who said, loved Jesus but fell in love with the present world and abandoned the gospel. Look at Solomon, who wrote these very words, who wrote in chapter 19 of Proverbs, if you cease to hear my instruction, you will stray from wisdom. And in his later life, he strayed. He didn't even take his own advice. It means that you have freedom of choice. It means that in God's sovereignty, He doesn't take away your will. You can defect. You can thumb your nose at God if you choose. And God will not violate your will any more than parents will because He doesn't want Stepford children. You can't coerce someone to love you. We who are chosen of God must also choose God for ourselves. There are no second-generation disciples. Every person is a first-generation Christian. I say that to say this to you. Unfortunately, we have used the second part of that verse sometimes to shame parents of adult children who have done it right and whose adult children have turned away from faith, and that's a shame. Now, I may be wrong about this, but I think this is true. I, I bet you money there were folks in the neighborhood of the loving father in Luke chapter 15 who blamed him for his, his rebel son's excursion to the far country. I can imagine the gossip in the neighborhood being something like this. Well, he was just too soft on the old boy. And what he should have done was, and then the unsolicited advice begins, he should have grounded him. He should have put the paddle to him. He didn't discipline him enough. And the blame and shame begins. And though some of that counsel may be true, it's not very helpful. 
I've discovered that sometimes in the face of somebody else's heartbreak, it might be better to shut my mouth and open my arms. I remember the mother who was trying so hard to get her son up for church one morning. He didn't want to go. She shook him out of bed. She dressed him, put a tie on him, and said, you're going to worship this morning. He said, mother, those people at the church, they don't like me. I don't like them. She said, you're going to church. He said, give me one good reason. She said, I'll give you two. First of all, you're 42 years old. Secondly, you're the pastor of the church, and it's very important. Even when the prodigal son returned home from the pig pen, it wasn't by force. His dad didn't go after him and hog tie him and bring him back to the farm against his will. What was it? What was it that brought that boy home? When he remembered his father, when he hit rock bottom. He remembered his father's love, and he thought to himself, maybe, maybe, just maybe, he'll take me back. And he did. And he does. And he will. It was Robert Frost who said, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. I call it church. But Proverbs 22 is no guarantee. While spiritual upbringing will likely have a lasting impact on the child, not every child is going to be a preacher, and that's a good thing. Not every child is going to be a missionary, a Bible teacher. There may be relapse because we all have a will of our own that cannot be forced, but it can be led. You can be led. And oh, by the way, the training never ends. Did you know that there's no diploma for discipleship? You don't graduate. You don't retire. You keep training. You keep getting up. You keep praying. You keep preaching. You keep witnessing. You keep one anothering. The word disciple in the Greek doesn't mean finished, it means student, it means learner, it means apprentice, and you don't ever stop. I've heard it said you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but that can never be said of a follower of Jesus. It's one of the core values of Brentwood United Methodist Church that we always remain teachable. The greatest tragedy I've ever seen in a Christian is when a person becomes unteachable, when you've learned all that you care to know. And one of the beautiful things about being around children is that they're still asking the questions that we're no longer asking. And I've discovered that you can learn as much from them as they may learn from you. I think that's why Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you'll never get it. You'll never get into the kingdom. Sometimes you see it. And with this, I close. I had a mother and daughter come to my office recently. This child was 11 years old. She's in our confirmation class. She said she needed to see me. 
I said, what's going on? She said, we're grieving over the death of a loved one, a neighbor, a friend. In fact, that woman who died this week, her name is Marie Gangaware. She's a member of our church. She was 50 years old. She died of Lou Gehrig's. She has two children. This 11-year-old girl, a neighbor, would go over and see Miss Gangaware almost every day. Bedfast, she would sit with her. She would pray with her. She said, I need to see you. In the course of our visit, she told me, this 11-year-old <laughs> told me of a dream she had had. She said, there was a tornado, there was a whirlwind, and I was scared. And suddenly, I looked up into the face of that funnel cloud, and I saw Jesus standing there, and she spoke to him. I said, what did you say? She said, I'm scared. I said, did he respond? She said, yes. What did he say? He said, you don't have to be afraid because I'm here. I'm with you. And she said, the look on his face helped me not to be afraid. And I woke up the next morning with the most peaceful feeling I've ever had. I was sitting at her feet and suddenly I felt like one of those elders in the temple in Jerusalem, sitting at the feet of a 12-year-old Jesus, being instructed in the faith. And she came because she needed me? <laughs> Turns out I needed her. She's a heart shaper, and she was training me up. Hanak, reorienting your life in a direction from which you choose not to depart. Train up a child in the way he should go and walk there yourself. In a world that wants to dumb you down, <laughs> Jesus is still training you up, and the training never ends. Thanks be to God.